Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph will bring a message entitled, What is the Call of Faith? And now, here's Pastor Ralph. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we're talking about the life of Abraham. This is the second night in the series addressing Abraham. Last week, we talked about Abraham being the man of faith that the Bible calls him. And we talked about Abraham believed God and God credited that belief, that faith, to Abraham's account in heaven as righteousness. Today we're going to talk about the call of Abraham. And, and as, as you, you think about the call, uh, people hear those words, a call, a calling. A lot of times you get the idea of, oh, it's like to be called to be a missionary or some real spiritual thing. Actually, it's a call to a relationship with God. Abraham had big problems in his life. He was a, a, a well-to-do man. Uh, living in a village that was filled with idolatry. Uh, he was beginning to doubt the idols around him and their ability to answer his prayers and meet his needs. Uh, he had no child, and he lived in a culture where if you didn't have a child, they looked down on you. In fact, they thought there was some deep, dark, spiritual secret in your life and made life very difficult for you. And so Abraham has a felt need. Do you have one? Is there something in your life that's amiss that you wish that God would change? Is there something in your life that perhaps in your business... Uh, perhaps in your work life, maybe in your family, uh, where there's a deep deficit in your life. Because what happened is that God met Abraham at the point of deficit in his life and basically said, I can solve your problem here. And not only will I solve your problem, I will abundantly solve your problem. And not only will I abundantly solve your problem, I will so abundantly solve your problem that I can use you as a channel to bless other people. You have a need, I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to more than meet that need. In fact, I'm going to meet that need so extremely well that now by my depositing my blessing in your life, it spills over and the rest of the world gets blessed. And folks, that's a pattern that God wants to work in every one of our lives. In every one of our lives. I did a wedding today. One of the things I always pray at a wedding is, God, let these people have so much love in their life that there's love left over to share with others. That there's a spillover of God's goodness and the, and the joy and the happiness that these people have. You know, I look around this, this room tonight and a lot of you guys I know really well and I know that in your life, your, your house is a place that people come when they're hurting. I know that your house maybe is a place where we have a mini church and people are coming and they, and they feel welcome and they feel hospitality. I know that you as an individual are somebody that's so filled up with the grace of God that you got people on the job going, what's different about you? What is there that goes on in your life? That's supposed to be normal Christianity. If we're believers in the Jesus of the Bible, we ought to have an experience where God is filling us up with what he has for us, and he's doing such a good job of it that it it spills out to others. And I'm reading a book that's talking about God's anointing on our businesses, and it says we ought to want to make a profit. Sometimes the church makes it look like a dirty thing to want to make a profit. You You ought to want to do really well in your business. You ought to want to do so well that you can afford to be very generous when, when the Lord touches your heart and says, bless that person over there. Go help your neighbor who's in a jam or, or help somebody in Mongolia. Uh, although in Mongolia they may say no. But uh, uh, the, the, we, would be, we would position ourselves to receive the grace that God has for us. Well, I thought in getting into this message tonight, I'd like you to go to the first slide, John. And I, I want to talk about God speaking to people. Because I, I think God speaks to people in basically three ways. The first is through the Scripture. And the, the Bible... Uh, uses a, a Greek term in the New Testament to describe the Bible itself. And it, it calls it the Logos of God. L-O-G-O-S 
in English, the Logos of God. And it means the Word of God. God's letter to us is the Logos of God. The Bible uses another word that also translates W-O-R-D into English. Uh, Logos is one. The other word of God is called rhema. And the Greek term would come into English R-H-E-M-A. And the rhema of God is, is where the Word of God becomes alive in your heart. And it could be that you're reading through the Logos, you're reading the Bible, and you stumble upon some scripture, and it speaks to your need. And it does it so effectively that you feel somehow, I've intersected with God here. It's not the pages of a book. It's not even the pages of God's book. But somehow the Spirit of God took this thing and applied it to my mind in a way that I know that I had a supernatural, mystical experience with God through these words. The Logos became Rhema, the applied word of God. A second way that we receive Rhema is through the words of other people. And I'm going to read you a story where somebody received this applied word of God through something that her parents said to her, and God spoke to her through the words of her parents. The third way that we receive this word from the Lord is in prayer, meditation. Sometimes you're just doing nothing but driving or something, and the Lord just speaks to your mind. He puts a thought in your brain, and you know that it's not you. And, and you know it's not the devil. And you know that it's something that's good, that's a promise of God's grace that he has for you. So he, he speaks to us through the Logos. He speaks to us through the words of other people. And he speaks to us just by putting a thought in our heart. And all of them are the rima of God, the word of God to us. So the, the question is, God, does God speak to people? I think the answer is yes. We're going to read it in the life of Abraham. But I want to read it in the life of this, this woman. And um, I'm reading from a book. And I, I know that I'm going to frustrate you, and I for sure will frustrate the Straight Street bookstore back there because I never warned them I was doing this. And that always means that 60 or 70 people want a book and they don't have any. I checked on Friday, they had three copies. But they can order it for you and have it for you by next week. The book is called Victory Over the Darkness. And this is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I've read it several times over. Um, the, the book I had recommended to you not too long ago to read, this is the same author. And uh, very, very strong stuff. But listen to this story. Nearly 60 years ago, outside Nashville, Tennessee, a little girl was born with major health problems, which left her crippled. Actually, she was born so premature that she only weighed four pounds. She encountered scarlet fever shortly after birth. And later on, she um, was stricken with polio, and she was left crippled and unable to walk. Doctors said she wouldn't live when she was born. Later on, they said she was going to remain underdeveloped all her life. And then she started getting sick. And bad went to worse. And so she was crippled. She had a large and wonderful Christian family. But while her brothers and sisters enjoyed running and playing outside, she was confined to braces. Her parents took her into Nashville periodically for physical therapy, but the little girl's hope was dim. Will I ever be able to run and play like the other children, she asked her parents. Honey, you only have to believe, they responded. If you believe, God will make it happen. Now what do you think is going through the minds of a mom and dad, uh, a fairly poor family. A little girl is, is this messed up, and they're saying these words, Honey, you only have to believe. If you believe, God will make it happen. They're probably thinking, I sure hope so, while they're saying it. But what she's hearing is the word of the Lord, the rhema of God. Is God can make it happen. God can do anything. If I believe, it'll happen. Well, is this setting somebody up for disaster or what? She took her parents' counsel to heart, and began to believe that God could make her walk without braces. Unbeknownst to her parents and doctors, she practiced walking without her braces with the aid of her brothers and sisters. Now, 
I read something else about her life this week, and I happen to know the aid she got from her brothers and sisters wasn't them holding her up. Furniture would do that real well. She positioned them in different places around the house so if they saw the car turning up the street, everybody would give the signal and they'd run and strap the braces back on. And so that's how she practiced with their help. On her 12th birthday, she surprised her elders by removing her braces and walking around the doctor's office unassisted. Her doctors couldn't believe her progress. She never wore braces after that day. Her next goal was to play basketball. She continued to exercise her faith and courage as well as her under, underdeveloped legs, and she went out for the school basketball team. The coach selected her older sister for the team, but the courageous girl was told she wasn't good enough to play. Her father, a wise and loving man, told the coach, My daughters come in pairs. If you want one, you have to take the other. Reluctantly, the coach added the girl to the team. She was given an outdated uniform and allowed to work out with the other players. One day, she approached the coach. If you give me an extra 10 minutes of coaching each day, I'll give you a world-class athlete. He laughed, and then he realized she was serious. He half-heartedly agreed to give her some additional time playing two-on-two -two with her best friend and a couple of boys. Before long, her determination started to pay off. She showed tremendous athletic skill and courage, and soon she was one of the team's best players. Her team went to the state basketball championships. One of the referees at the tournament noticed her exceptional ability and asked if she had ever run track. She hadn't. The referee, who also happened to be the coach of the internationally famous Tiger Bells Track Club, encouraged her to try running. So after the basketball season, she went out for track. She began winning races and earned a berth in the state track championships. Pretty cool. Long ways from being a little kid with braces that couldn't even walk. You like this story? But it's not over. At the age of 16, she was one of the best young runners in the United States. She went to the Olympics in Australia and won a bronze medal for anchoring the 400-meter relay team. So what do you think of that? But it ain't over. Not satisfied with her accomplishment, she worked diligently for four more years and returned to the Olympics in Rome in 1960. There, Wilma Rudolph won the 100-meter dash, the 200-meter dash, and, anchoring the, and anchored the winning 400-meter relay team, all in world record times. She capped the year by receiving the prestigious Sullivan Award as the most outstanding amateur athlete in America. Wilma Rudolph's faith and hard work had paid off. Now, not only was she the most outstanding amateur athlete in America, she's the only woman that's ever won three gold medals up until, I think, the last... Olympics in, a, in, a, in, a, in Olympic Games. She is a black woman, and she did this in 1960, and if you think we have racial problems in this country now, you ought to have been reading the newspapers in 1960. This woman was a superhero in America. She paved the way for women in sports, women in business. She became a, a, a strong motivational speaker. She went to work as a, as a school teacher with underprivileged kids, uh, a towering example of what a woman could accomplish, but more than that, a towering example of what a black person could accomplish. And because she was so doggone likable, she did a whole lot to wear down the prejudice that was in America. This is an incredible person whose life made a huge contribution to the world that we live in because her parents said, honey, if you only believe, God can help you to walk again. And the Lord spoke to her through her mom and dad the way the Lord will speak to you through reading his word. There's something you pick up in church sometime. There's some time that you're 
you're, you're, you're meditating on Scripture or you're, you're praying your brain out because you're really sweating it because there's problems in your life. But when the Lord speaks and we respond with faith, good things are bound to happen. Want to see it in the life of Abraham? Genesis chapter 12. We won't be long. It says, The Lord told Abraham, or it'll say Abram in here because God changed his name later to Abraham, but I'm stuck on Abraham, so bear with me. The Lord told Abraham, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. Okay? You have a problem. We read about the problem in the end of chapter 11. You could look it up later. And God says, uh, God speaks to him. That's the first thing we need to notice. Then he says, leave your country, your relatives, your father's house. Everything that's secure. You know, when you want to get to where God's trying to take you, you have to leave where you've been before. If you want to get to sobriety, you have to leave dependence upon alcohol. If you want to get to financial blessing, you have to leave a poverty mentality. If you want to get to have discipline in your life that will contribute to your marriage, then you have to leave behind habits that have held you down. Does this make sense? There's a leaving that always has to associate itself with a going. And so it says, Leave your country, your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. He wants one kid. God says, I'm going to give you a whole nation of people. I will bless you and make you famous. And I will make you... I mean, think about it. The guy lived 3500 B.C., 5,500 years later, we're still talking about him. He's famous, all right. And he says, I will make you a blessing to others. And you ought to underline those words, a blessing to others. Because God always wants his cut. I mean, think of it that way. God's willing to give you whatever you want and then more. But what he wants is his share of the deal. And that is that your life begins to be a blessing to others. And if you want to walk with God, you've got to get used to that. One of the problems that I see in, in, in Christianity in America is, 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 is everybody's kind of a me, myself, and I person. They're all hooked up on, I want God's blessings for me, myself, and I. And God says, I want to bless you. I'll bless you abundantly, but I want to bless others through you. And if you want to really receive God's blessings, some of us can't figure out, I became a Christian and nothing's happened in my life. I'm going around hearing all these stories of all these other Christians and God's grace is so abundant in their life. What's, what's wrong with God? Why isn't he blessing me? And it's because we didn't get used to the covenant. I'll bless you. I'll bless you abundantly so I can bless others through you. And if you're not willing to be the pass-through to blessing, then forget about God's blessing in your life because it's just going to get stifled. Am I making sense when I say that? And so here he says, I want to grace other people. And then he says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. I like that part, I will curse those who curse you. What's that mean is... If, if somebody makes themselves your enemy and you're on God's side, then they make themselves God's enemy and God will fight on your behalf. Is that good? You want some scripture references you could look up later? Here's one for the part about God talking to Abraham in the very first part of verse 1. It's 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 12. Write it down and you can look it up later. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 12. Where God says, I will bless you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. God wants to bless you and he adds no sorrow to it. He open-handedly, open-heartedly says, I want to do good things for you. And then when it talks about being a blessing to others, Matthew chapter 5, verse 42 says, if somebody comes and asks of you because they're in need, don't you dare turn them away because you want to keep the blessings coming in your life. You'd be willing to bless the other person. And the part that talks about God cursing those who curse you, uh, turn to this one with me. 
very briefly, and we'll come back to Genesis. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 37 is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I read this one several times in a month. And it uh, gives me great courage when i got problems in my life. But the first three verses of Psalm 37 say this. Don't worry about the wicked. Don't envy those who do wrong. I mean, don't get into this, well, how come they always get away with it business? For like grass, they'll soon fade away. Like springtime flowers, they'll wither. Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you'll live safely in the land and prosper. What's that all about? Well, let God worry about the bad people. You know, you and I get all hooked up uh, wanting to, to, to crank out vengeance on somebody. In the end of Romans 12, uh, Apostle Paul writes and says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And it goes on and says, in those next few verses in Romans 12, you get out of the way because when you stand trying to work vengeance in somebody's life, somebody whacks you and you whack them back, then God's not going to whack them. But here it says, don't, don't worry about the wicked. Don't think about them. Trust in the Lord. Do good. You'll prosper. God will deal with that person. Later on in Psalm 37, the, the, the psalmist writes and says, I saw the wicked person and he was spreading himself in great power like a green bay tree, like a monkey pod tree. And I looked, and I looked again, and he wasn't there. He was gone. I even looked at the hole in the ground, and the spot he was in was gone. It was all over for him. If we're walking with the Lord, the Lord will be on our side. If we're walking in His grace, and somebody curses us, the Lord will curse them. All we have to do is walk with the Lord. We don't need to worry ourselves about those other people, and we for sure don't have to try to wreak vengeance on others. We can walk in God's grace. And so the promise is made to Abraham. First, God does talk to people. And second is, Abraham's in a point of need. God says here, I want to bless you. I want to overbless you. I want to bless others through you. And if somebody messes with you, I'm messing with them. So don't you even worry about it. You and I have a relationship. Is this good? Now, either I got you really thinking or really sleeping. I can't tell which. Am I making, is it getting through? Are you there? Genesis 12. Let's go back. We'll finish this thing up. Verse 4 talks about what should I do if God speaks to me. It says that Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had joined his household in Haran. And they finally arrived in Canaan. Traveling through Canaan, they came to a place near Shechem, and they set up camp beside the oak at Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now, what is there that we need to glean from this? Well, the first thing is, is it says that Abraham departed. If God says do something, do it. If God says go, go. If God says sit still, sit still. If God says read a book, read a book. If God says uh, go and begin to research some kind of new loan for your company, go research. Whatever God says, do. But then notice it says he departed as the Lord instructed him. It's a good thing to not try to walk ahead of God or three steps behind God. Try to walk in sync with God. Let the Lord lead you. Let the Lord direct you. Do you ever have times when, when everything's going haywire in your life and you just, you just get all frustrated with it and, you, and you just, you're trying to just push and make every door open that you can open and, and, and then you, fi- you finally wised up and you remember that verse in Romans that says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And, 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 and you finally went and got... Gosh, God, I wanted this to happen so bad, but maybe you didn't. And if you didn't, that's okay with me. What are you trying to tell me? Where are you trying to take me? Lord, I'm trying to go straight. Are you trying to get me to make a right turn here? 
Because if you are, I'm willing to go there. You see, he departed as the Lord instructed him. It's not that he departed and hit the ground running. He was willing to go in synchronization with the Lord and with the grace of the Lord. And you and I need to learn to do what the Bible calls in the New Testament, walking in the Spirit. Come to a place where we're living in communion with the Lord. We're, or, you know, the Bible says in one place, pray without ceasing. Well, what does that mean? Chant? No. It means keep your mind open to God so that if stuff's going on in your life that you don't like it, you're telling Him. If stuff's going on and it's great, you're thanking Him. But you've always kind of got your, your, your spiritual ears open and you're willing to let, be, let yourself be led. And so Abraham went out as he was instructed by the Lord and, and God was with him. Psalm chapter 5 verse 8 tells us uh, this. The psalmist is praying and he says, God, make, make your paths really straight because if they're crooked, I might miss it. You know, it's like that thing I picked, showed you those pictures in Mongolia. Well, if it was a straight line across Mongolia, I could get from one city to the other. But when the thing veers all over the place and sometimes the road splits and this and that, I'm going to get lost for sure. And the, and the psalmist is saying, God, I'm not that smart. Make it really straight for me and really smooth for me and I'll get where you want me to go. In other words, Lord, help us to be in teamwork and partnership in this as we move forward. What's going on? The opposite of sin. If sin is severing your relationship with God, if sin is saying, I don't need you telling me what to do, I can do it well on my own, what's going on in Abraham's life here is, he's, is the opposite of sin. He's coming into partnership with the Lord, and he's learning to walk in the Spirit and walk by faith, but going as the Lord leads him and as the Lord instructs him. Well, it goes on and says, they went to the land of Canaan. We know the land of Canaan at the time was inhabited by idol worshipers who were burning their sons as fire offerings to their gods, killing their children. And uh, despicable things going on there. God would eventually move these people out and give the land to Abraham. But when Abraham moved there, the Canaanites were in the land. And all Abraham could do was go and look around and say, Thank you, Lord, by faith. I believe you're going to give me this. But certainly he didn't uh, own any of it as he did. So he, he, he was there, but he was living there by faith and, and watching what God was doing by faith. And then verse 7 says, But the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And Abraham built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. And after that, Abraham traveled southward and set up camp in the hill country between Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar and worshipped the Lord. Now, the question is, what should I do while I wait for God to act? And the answer is here in these verses we just read. The first thing he did was he built an altar. Now, when these guys would build an altar uh, because God had spoken to them, it wasn't much of an altar. Now, you think of some big, elaborate thing, right? They'd pile up a bunch of rocks. And they would, every time that they'd pass by the rocks, go, oh, that's where I was the day that God told me this. They didn't even mortar the rocks together. They just made a pile of stones. Somebody could come along and move them. It was interesting being in Mongolia because it's a country of shepherds, which is exactly what you're reading about in the Bible. And they live very much like they did in Bible days. It's also interesting because they have a deal of they build, build a monument it's just a pile of rocks. Somebody goes to a place and they have some sort of spiritual experience. Now, they're, they're into shamanism and all kind of weird things. But they'll just take some rocks and pile them up. And then other people will come by and they see the pile of rocks and they'll pile up rocks there. And, and they have these fancy, expensive blue silk scarves that they use for commemorative occasions. And somebody will put a stick in there and tie one of those scarves to it. And it's just a, you know, you could kick it and it would all go away. Well, he, he builds an altar like that. And all he's saying is, I remember I had this experience with God. I think you and I need to build altars like that in our life. I build them by, I keep a prayer journal. And when God, God speaks to me about certain things and I want to keep praying about it, I write it down and I date it. Or I, or I write things in my Bible. 
Uh, sometimes I'll put a date by a scripture and some little notation of myself. To remember, I was in this crisis time, and I felt like the Lord told me this. Now, I'm kind of checking it out because I'm going to write the note, and I'm going to see if I really did hear from God, because if he comes through down the road, I can come back here and go, hey, I wrote it. And if he doesn't come through, now we got to deal with this. And so there's this commemoration business that Abraham did. The second thing is that he set up camp. Doesn't it say that there in about uh, verse 8? That he set up camp. And I, I think that we need to set up camp. Look at the pictures on the screen. Here's somebody who's praying, seeking the Lord. They built an altar of worship in their life. Uh, here's somebody else that's doing a good job of raising his little girl. And, and, and you know what? You can become so spiritually minded that you're no good for anything. Did you know that? God never called believers to a monastic lifestyle. He called us to, to interface with the world around us, to go to work in the morning, to, 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 to be a light in a dark world. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.